This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. We have a lot more stuff uh, coming tonight, but we just have, uh, we've invited a special friend of ours from Serve City Church in Scarborough, a great friend of Nicole and I, Pastor Andrew Beresford is here. Uh, my wife and Nicole and I, we love Chantal and him. They are just great friends of ours the last couple of years. You know, God brought us together a couple of years ago and we had a great conversation about church and he planted it two years ago now, right? Your church is two years old. And before they planted the church, we got to meet, and I'm like, what's the name of your church? And he's like, Serve City. And I'm like, yes, I want to serve the city. We are going to hook up automatically. And so let's give him, uh, Pastor Andrew Beresford, a special City Church welcome as he comes tonight. Uh, you know, we're kind of a, a quieter church, but it's okay to say amen okay. And, and, and preach it to Pastor Andrew. He loves response, don't you, Pastor Andrew? I love response. Right. It's good. Awesome. Praise the Lord, City Church. Come on, can we put our hands together and give God praise. What a mighty, mighty God we serve. Listen, man, I, Jimmy, that testimony was so incredible. I, I, you know, as I was sitting there and we're singing, even after that, what a fitting song, hallelujah, you know, the God that, that set us free, I just had no choice but to think back, you know, before I left Toronto, and, and this isn't my message, but I wanted to just share this, before I left Toronto, I had smoked some weed one day, um, you know, experimenting like any teenager would do, I'll never forget, man, uh, you know, the weed that I smoked, it was right before my last year of, of school, and, you know, the weed that I smoked, it turns out that it was laced with something. Um, I believe that it was probably angel dust. How many of you know what angel dust is? No? Okay. Uh, yeah, so it was, it's something really bad. Uh, and so anyways, you know, I was hallucinating w- during that time. And, you know, and, and it, was, it was just horrible. My heart was just experiencing crazy palpitations. But anyway, out of that, I lost my mind, right? Like I would be standing places just randomly and I would feel like I disappeared. You know, I literally felt, I remember thinking that I would never be regular ever again. You know, I remember I couldn't even stay in church for long periods of time because I would start just feeling extremely uncomfortable. I felt like I was lost inside my body. That's the only way that I could explain it. I was still high on a horrible high, even after I was no longer smoking weed. And, you know, and I really thought that I would never, ever be normal again. But I'm just so glad, y'all. People wonder, why is it that you're so passionate? They wonder, why is it that you're always running and jumping and stuff? Because if you've ever been in a place, I wonder if there's maybe one or two witnesses in here, that maybe you didn't lose your mind from smoking some bad weed. But maybe there was a situation in your life that had you feeling like you were never going to make it. Maybe one or two witnesses in this place tonight. And it's your testimony, just as it's my testimony, that God indeed is a delivering God. One more time, can we put our hands together and give Jesus... Come on, we can do better than that, man. Let me hear you. 
lot of people think church is for women and that women are the only ones that are supposed to make noise. No, I believe that men, that God is moving in our lives as well. Come on, somebody. So, so listen, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I, I actually, I, I have no words. I cannot completely articulate how much Pastor Brent and Nicole mean to my wife and I and to Serve City Church. They were some of the first individuals who showed love and kindness towards us when we came here, not having a clue who we are, you know, and for somebody, for, for a young dude from, uh, from the hood in Scarborough, uh, you know, to be able to have, to be able to be, to encounter such incredible individuals. Yes, I represent Scarborough. And I always will. East End. Any East Enders in the house? No? Okay. Yes, East Ender. But anyways, you know, you guys are so incredible and I love how you do more than just say stuff, you know? Not a lot of people talk, but very few people this day and age. I believe you're an anomaly. You know, you guys are an anomaly and what you do here is so massive and we're just grateful for you and uh, Nicole. Can we celebrate your leader? Come on, I think, I think he deserves a standing ovation. We honor you and we're grateful for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and while you're clapping, I just want to clap for Dad Coulter, who's in the building tonight. Come on, can we just celebrate? I don't know if he, if he minds me calling him that, but I just think it's incredible to have legacy and generations present. It's wonderful. My dad, I believe you're about to turn 81 M- tomorrow. My dad just turned 84, right? And so I love having pillars in the faith that are still around and that are, that are, are those are you, your shoulders are the shoulders that we're standing on. And so I just honor you and just thank you so much, uh, for what you've, for the legacy that you've built as well. God bless you. Okay. Well, who's ready for the word of the Lord? Okay. Let's go. If you will, turn with me to, uh, the book of Nehemiah. I want to go to Nehemiah. I, I love this story. Nehemiah chapter six. Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to read, uh, from verse, we're going to read from verse 1 through 4. And I guess while, while we're getting started, uh, you can show please a picture of my wife, my wife and my family. That's my family, y'all. Yeah. I've been married to my wife, Chantal, for the past, uh, for the past 12 years. And so, uh, it's been a, it's been an incredible experience. Lots of ups and, and, uh, more ups than challenges. Uh, and, and we're grateful for that. And then, uh, my, my son Noah, my son Gabriel, he's the oldest. And my daughter, she just wrecked my whole life. Claire Evelyn May Beresford. And, uh, and so I'm so grateful for my family and of course bring greetings from Serve City Church. Uh, Serve City Church in, in the East End two years in and God is doing incredible things and we're just grateful. I'm just grateful. Are you there in Nehemiah? Okay. Nehemiah chapter six. And I want to read verse one through four. Here goes. The Bible says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, speaking of Nehemiah, and that there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time, I had not set up the doors in the gates Sanballat and Geshem, everybody say haters, sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hecatharim in the plain of, oh no, everybody say, oh no. (laughs) But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, the Bible says, saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? 
while I leave it and come down to you. And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. Don't care how many times you come to me. I'm going to have the same answer for you every single time. Look at somebody tell them every time, every time, every time, every time. Listen, uh, I want to I want to just preach, it, you know, for for a few moments. We just we're in a series at our church called Unbothered. And uh, so I want to call this message Unbothered. And if it was to be subtitled, I would say, don't come down. Don't come down. In fact, look at the brother. Look at the brother. Look at him square in the face. Uh, no, don't do so in a weird way. Uh, but go ahead and give him a fist bump. How about that? And we just tell, just tell him, don't come down. Come on, tell him. Just encourage somebody else. Look at your neighbor. The next neighbor, give him a fist bump. Tell him, don't come down. Don't come down. I also want to honor a friend of mine, great friend of mine, who's here from Trinidad, the island of Trinidad, suffering in the beautiful palm trees and sunshine all year round. Uh, Pastor John, John, look at me forgetting his name, John Paul Ramjatan. If you will, can you celebrate my friend here? So honored to have you with me, sir. So look, so I used to have asthma. I got a lot of testimonies. And, uh, you know, I, there, I was one of those kids that grew up and I wasn't able to, uh, I wasn't able to, you know, do a lot of things physical activity wise without having to take my puffer, right? How many of you have asthma in here or have dealt with asthma? Okay. All like three of you. Okay. So like it was the puffers. I was very athletic, but I would always have to take the puffer before I have to take my puffer after. And I also had what was called a mask. And so this thing was a, uh, was a, was a nebulizer and I would be in the house, you know, I spent a lot of my days there with the mask on my face, you know, breathing in Ventolin or Intel, this medicine that would help to open my lungs and looking out the window at children as they were playing and wishing that I didn't have to experience this sort of thing. And so my childhood, as my mom would say, you know, um, she, she would always tell me, son, boy, are you knocking at death's door? That was a Bajan accent, for those of you wondering. You know, my family is from, my mom is from Barbados. She always told me, you, boy, you knocking at death's door. In other words, you're knocking at death's door. I was always sick, always in the hospital from time to time, spending elongated periods of time in the hospital. And it even came, it, it traveled with me throughout not only my childhood, but later on in my life, the same thing happened. And so it got to the point where, you know, I would be, I would be preaching, and I would preach and have an asthma attack. And not only would I preach and have an asthma attack, but they really started to bug me when I would be laying hands on people who were sick and seeing them get healed and then going and taking my puffer after. And so I went, one time I went home and I just, I just had a conversation with God. I, you know, I used to work uh, cleaning these cellulose silos and I would climb up. And I would clean the silos. Then I'd come down. It was really, really high in the air. And, you know, and while I, and whenever I'd come down, I'd have an asthma attack. And so I got to the place where I was like, Jesus, you ever had a conversation with God where you were like, this just doesn't make any sense? I'm like, how in the world am I praying for people with stage four cancer and it's disappearing and I haven't, and I, I can't even preach without having an asthma attack. And it just didn't make sense to me. And I understand. I get it. I know that theologically we know that God doesn't always heal and all of this sort of stuff. But for me, you ever, even though you knew what, what was up, you ever still been real with God? 
You know, some people, they're, they're, they think that God's waiting to strike them with a lightning bolt and they're not really willing to be honest. But if you read the book of Psalms, David was a pretty honest guy about his feelings. And so in those moments, I was like, God, it just doesn't make sense to me. I really wish that I could be in a place of experience healing. And so God, I, 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 what, this is what I did in faith in that time. I was in my house and I had just had an asthma attack the day before. And I, in that moment, in one of those times when I was crying out to God, I got on my knees and I was like, God, I know you're Jehovah Rapha, which means the, the Lord who heals. Can you, can you please take this asthma away from me? And I said, and I felt compelled in that moment. I was like, I'm going to throw away all of my medicine, right? I'm not telling you to go do this. So don't say that Pastor Andrew said, told me to go throw away my medicine. No, this is what I was compelled to do in this moment. And the thing is that I lived in Michigan at the time and my parents lived in Toronto. My doctors were in Toronto. So if in order to renew my meds, I would have to go back to Toronto and get my meds renewed. And so when I threw them away and I prayed this prayer, this was kind of like a there's no plan B. It's either God, you do this or I die. Right. So in that moment, I prayed. And I seek God. It wasn't presumption because I sensed that God was was challenging my faith in that moment. And so I got rid of my puffer. Uh, and, you know, and then the next day I went back to my job and I ran. I ran up the cellulose silo and I came down the cellulose silo. I ran up. I ran down. I ran up. I ran down. No asthma attack. Hold up. Hold up. See, this is the thing. Some people don't believe that God is still a healer. But I wonder if it's one or two people in this place tonight that believe that God still heals. So look, I was never been able to run long distance or anything of this nature without having to take my asthma meds. And so, you know, so I started getting into marathon running and I started getting into long distance running and training for marathons. And now I can run. I've run over 20 kilometers. Come on, somebody without taking any meds from that day. I have never taken. I'm 34 now. That happened when I was about 17 or 18. I'm 34. I have not taken another asthma med from that time. God is a healer. So look, why are you telling me this? So I started running, running, doing long distance running. And as I was doing long distance running, you know, I, I, we, uh, uh, not too long ago, my family and I, my wife and I, and some friends, we ran a half marathon, which is like 21 kilometers, right? And so along the way, as we're running, it is, it is very difficult at, at times as you're running to not get distracted, one of the things, any runners in the house tonight? Okay, a few of you. And so, you know, if I can just be honest, can I just keep it real? I'm a part of a trend where pastors are honest. Sometimes it's difficult to keep running and not be distracted by yoga pants. Okay, y'all don't want to be real with me tonight. The yoga pants can be distracting. Not only this, but also, but also walkers. When you're trying to stay focused, and you're trying to make it to the end. And you just walk by some, you run by someone and they're just walking. Because you, you feel the cry like, I want to walk too. You know? And so it's often, oftentimes, it's very distracting. There, there are lots of distractions that we encounter along long distance running. And so on this last run, trust me, I'm going somewhere. On this last run, I was doing the best time 
that I had ever done in my life on a 20K run. I was having so much fun. I found my pace. You know what I mean? My breathing was good. You know, I was in it. I was in it. I was ready. I was going. Now, at about 12 kilometers, right, in, I'm coming around the bend. And I, there was a lady who was tracking with me the whole time that I was running. But she was behind and she never caught up. And so when we got to this bend, finally, this lady runs around. And I have my headphones on. I'm listening to my music. I'm jamming. I'm having a good time. You know, and she goes, hey, hey. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to you right now. She's trying to talk to me. She's distracting me. And then I'm like, well, she might know I'm a pastor. And if I ignore her, then she's going to be like, that pastor's rude. So I'm like, okay. So I take off the headphones in that moment. And I'm like, what do you want? With a big smile on my face. And she's like, she's like, I just wanted to admire the fact that you have kept pace for this whole time. You have not slowed down once. Right. And I'm like, okay, are you done yet? And she's like, I just want, she starts saying a bunch of good stuff, building me up in that moment. Somebody sees where I'm going. And guess what happens after I put back on my headphones? Suddenly out of nowhere, she passes me. We've been running for 12 kilometers. She passes me because I allowed her to break my pace. Because I allowed her to break my rhythm. Come on. Because I allowed her. Even though she was saying good stuff. Somebody say good stuff. Even though she was saying something that was, that was making me, that would have made me feel good about myself. How many of you know that sometimes that distractions don't always come in the form of negative things? And many of us, the reason why we're distracted and we're not walking out what God has called us to as men is because we're distracted by titillation, by good things, by people saying things to us or hearing things that are, that make us feel good about ourselves. Not only did she pass me, but she lapped me. And for the first time in all of my years of running long distance, I stopped. I usually would be able to run and never stop. And I realized the difference between that run, which I was doing my best time on, and the elder runs that I did, was that I allowed myself to be distracted in that moment. Come on, look at somebody, tell them, you got to be unbothered. You got to be unbothered. Tell them, tell them, don't, don't look at me, look at them. Tell them, you got to be you got to be unbothered. I allowed myself to get bothered. I allowed myself to, to, to break focus. And consequently, as a result, not only did I stop, did I slow down, but, and, but also it got to the place where I also stopped running, man. And you know what? I showed up. There are a lot of, when you come to men's conferences, oftentimes they, the, the speakers are all about bashing men about how horrible they are and how much they stink and how much they suck and how much this that and the other but I showed up all the way from Scarborough to encourage somebody today that God has greatness on your life and I don't care what distraction the enemy sends your way if you and I would be to the place where we keep focus we could be everything that God has called us to be man I feel this preach creeping up on me because I know there's someone here today who is on at the end of your own 
if you are here and you feel like quitting and throwing in your towel, there are people who are running up next to you trying to distract you. There are situations. There are circumstances. There are bills. Come on, somebody. There are spouses that are dripping in your ear, telling you about how horrible you are, and you feel like throwing in the towel. But I showed up to let somebody know today. Take that towel and wipe off the sweat, but you better not throw it in. Because God has greatness for your life. Come on, somebody. I there's the, look at, look at a man tonight. We're gonna do a lot of talking to each other. Encourage somebody. Tell them there's greatness on your life. Come on, tell them there's great. That might have been the first time that a brother sitting next to you ever heard that. That might have been the first time that they ever heard something good in regards to who they are. And, and so I wanted to talk today about an individual by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was in, was, was in a position where he was desirous of doing something that God had, that God had put on his life to do. And in fact, this was called, this was him rebuilding the wall. Everybody say rebuilding the wall. We wanted to rebuild the walls that were surrounding Jerusalem because they had been torn down. And this was the thing. This, these walls represented security. They were, they, they represented, uh, this, this sense of security. And, and so the fact that these walls were down, Nehemiah was an individual that cared greatly about this. He cared greatly about the security of his people. And so he, he, he has a conversation with God in the first chapter of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And he starts talking about his desire to go and rebuild these walls. And he feels like it is an assignment. He feels compelled to go and do this, to, to rebuild these walls. But along the journey, Nehemiah encounters some individuals, firstly by the names of Sanballat and Tobiah. They were some governors, everybody say governors, and they were, they were opposing to his desire to rebuild the wall. And then later on, there was a dude named Geshem that came along as well that also wanted to try and discourage him from fulfilling, from fulfilling what it is that God called him to do. But the incredible thing, as we'll see in the story of Nehemiah, is that Nehemiah did not allow himself to come down from the assignment that God has called him to. He decided that what it was that he was up for and that he was, uh, he, that he was doing meant more to him than the opposition of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And I showed up to talk to some men today and to empower you to know that what God has called you to is greater than the opposition that you stand against. The things that God has for you are greater than what it is that you're up against. Look at Jimmy's testimony, fam. There is more beyond the opposition that you face in this moment. And so look, the thing that I love is that when we're talking about fulfilling the assignment that God has on our lives as men, and, the, the, and that whatever it is that God has called you to do, and dealing with and fighting against the opposition that we face. You know, the first thing we know in Nehemiah's story is that Nehemiah is backed by God and those who are in authority over him. Nehemiah is backed by God and those in authority over him. In fact, you know, as you, as you look through verses 4 through 11, it makes it clear that indeed he has God's favor. In chapter 2, verse 8 of Nehemiah, it actually says, and 
uh, and a letter, he's speaking to the king, he says, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber and may make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of God was upon me. So it was clear that Nehemiah had God's approval before he went into the, fulfilling the assignment that he was called to. I just want to tell somebody, this ain't even my first point, but I just sense the Holy Spirit just call, compelling me to encourage a man tonight that you already have God's approval. Oh man, somebody tonight showed up and you feel like you need to earn God's approval. You feel like maybe because of the, the house that you grew up in and because you may have had to earn your father's love or because of the way that the abuse that you faced and so you thought you were horrible and, and you never felt loved. Maybe I'm the only person that has ever been in a position like this. Uh, uh, but you know, I want to tell you that earthly fathers don't dictate the love of God. Oh man, I'm, I just want you to know that you showed up today already loved. You're already, look, 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 you don't serve, God is not, God is not dying to meet you, he died to meet you. Oh my, look at somebody, tell them you're already loved, come on, tell them you're already, you're already. So before Nehemiah set out to fulfill this assignment of rebuilding the wall, he already had the favor of God. Man, that is catastrophically different than the way that society tells us we do X, Y, and Z in order to gain and to gather the love of people. But Nehemiah had God's favor and, and, and even the favor of those who were in authority over him. The Persian king who is not a godly king, he goes to him and says, Hey, Release me. Nehemiah is the cup bearer to this king. And he asked the king and says, can you release me to go and rebuild the wall in Jerusalem? Now the thing is, why, why would this king, unless God was behind it, why would this king give him any sort of favor or release? But not only this, it don't stop there. The king also wrote him a letter as we just read in the ver in verse 8 to have, to go and gather timber. From his forest. So he could go and rebuild a, 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 a wall in a place that was not even related to him. Oh, are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? The fact of the matter is, can I give you point number one? Watch this. Point number one. God's assignments, watch this, come furnished with favor, his and that of the right people. God's assignments come furnished with favor. In other words, with support, with the support of God and the right people. In other words, watch this. You start out when God assigns you as, as it is said, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And some of you, you feel the reason why you feel men that you can't be a good dad or that you can't be a good husband. And it's because you feel like you have to do this thing by yourself. Come on. For some of you, you may be in a position where the only example of a father that you have is the abusive father that you grew up with. And as a result, you feel like you're in it by yourself. But I just showed up to let you know that you're not in it by yourself. Come on. That God's favor 
is behind you. Some of you, God has called you to start a business and you feel like you have to have all your ducks in a row and you feel like because you didn't graduate from high school or you didn't graduate from college or because of the family that you may have grown up in that it's not possible for you, I feel this thing, for you to carry out the assignment that God has for you. But I'm here to tell you, baby, that it's not about you. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. But it's by God's spirit that the thing that he's called you to will come to pass in your life. God will make, God will make banks give you loans that you can't, that you don't even have the credit score for. God will, God will, will make people grant you funds and you didn't even go to the school the amount of time that you were supposed to go to it in order to get the grant that you needed. Who am I talking to on tonight? The fact of the matter is that God is able to do exceedingly. I hear Ephesians 3.20 and abundantly, come on somebody, above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. It's his favor that, that allows for people to do things that don't even make sense in our lives. Some of you will testify. I'm telling you, man, I, when I say I'm from the hood, I mean like I'm from, I'm like from Scarborough. I'm from Malvern. You know, like you might not even know about Malvern. Like Malvern and Galloway, man, we've been on the news, fam. We call it, we call it Scarlum. You know what I mean? Like, it's a serious deal. And growing up, you know, finding people in dumpsters and all sorts of stuff. I should not be up here talking and preaching. But I'm a witness. Come on, somebody. Because of the stuff that I've been surrounded around. I don't even know how I've been married for 12 years. When I've been surrounded in many cases by people who have not lasted as long. And it's not because of my strength. Come on. It's not because of my grace. But I serve a God whose grace is sufficient and his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And so here, you know, God's assignment come furnished with favor, his and that of the right people. Can I tell you, look, you don't need favor with everybody. Uh, some of you, you know, the, the, the issue that you're facing is that you want everybody to like you. <laughs> Nehemiah did not need everyone to like him. In order for him to fulfill the assignment, come on somebody. All he needed were the right people. God furnished his life not only with God's favor, but he, fa- he favored him in the manifestation of God's favor in the life through other people, through the right people. I'm telling you today that when God has called you, if he's called you, he'll put the right people in your life. To equip you. And this is the thing, because even though there were people who were opposing Nehemiah, there were those who were for him. There were those who were on the wall. There were those who were bringing resources. There were kings who were literally giving him timber to finance the dream that was in his heart. Don't be discouraged because of the no's. And oftentimes we're so focused on the people who are not for us that we di- that we get to the place where we nullify or we attempt to nullify or we don't notice all that all of the amazing people that God has in our corner. Man, I'm telling you, give me two people that got my back. I'll take two people that got my back over 12 people that are devils. Come on, somebody. Because at the end of the day, you will accomplish and go further faster with those who, the right people in your corner than those who are again, than a ton of people who are not in your corner. Are you with me? And so look, not only this, the Bible makes it clear as we go on in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 11. Are you still with me? 
says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Help me preach this, Jesus, because because Nehemiah, he was like, hold up. First of all, he acknowledges the awesome God, the great God that is with him. He acknowledges, he acknowledges, he calls, he calls the people to remembrance. Come on. Even though they are in the face of opposition, he calls them to remembrance about the awesomeness and the faithfulness of God. Man, my, I was tearing up as we were singing these songs about all his promises are yes and amen. And some of us, the reason why you can't sing that is because you think that God's promises are only that, you know, everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be, but how many of you know that God's promise Promises also are, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, amen, I feel this thing. I will fear no evil because you're with me. Come on, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I love that, yes, blessed is his name in times when everything is going well. But I wonder if it's one or two people tonight that know that he's fulfilled his promises to be with you even in the dark times. Blessed are you when people speak ill of you. He doesn't just say that when people are for you, when everybody's cheering, when everybody's cheerleading you, that that's only when God is. And no, he's also there even in the craziest times in life. And I love, I love the fact that I don't have to go through the storm by myself. So look at this. I love it. This is so incredible to me. Then he goes on and he says, fight for your fathers. I mean, wait, no, let me, let me, let me read it. He says, he says, fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives and for your homes. Here in the position, here is number two. Can I give you number two? Look at this. Your why should be louder than the volume of your opposition. Your why, why you're doing what you're doing should be louder than the volume of your opposition. In other words, Nehemiah is saying, hey fam, I know that Geshem and Sanballat and Tobiah, I know that they're saying all sorts of crazy stuff. I know, as we would say in Scarborough, that these guys are waste youths. Everybody say waste youths. You just learned a Scarborough slang. And so he's like, I know that these guys are off their rocker. I know that these guys are crazy. I know that they're trying to stop you. I don't know what you're up against. I know that they told you you can't make it. I know that they, the doctor gave you a death sentence. I know that the bill collector said that you're never going to recover from this debt pit that you're in. But he says, remember who you're fighting for. He said, there, there are generations that are attached to you. He says, remember your brothers. Come on, somebody. Remember your wives. Remember your children. You know why I can't stop going? Why I gotta keep going? I gotta keep going because of Claire, that picture I showed you. Because my little daughter needs to know that God is still God. Come on, somebody. Even in the middle of challenging times, she needs to know that God is a provider. She needs to know that Jehovah Jireh is real and not just a figment of my imagination. And so I'm so glad that I have a why that is greater than the volume and that is greater than the volume of my opposition I love that Jesus' why was greater than the volume of his opposition I love the fact that you know that while he was up on the cross and they were mocking him and they were like why why don't you just come down why don't you if king save yourself 
They're mocking him. They're spitting on him. They're giving him, they're giving him sour wine and all this stuff, just mocking him and, and doing all this to tell him, come down. But you know, there's a little scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and on, where it says, be now, and I'm summarizing, being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He says, he goes on and he says, and he says, you know, that we are to look unto Jesus, who is the author, come on somebody, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, I feel this preach, he says, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy was Jesus' why. You know who the joy was? Come on somebody. The joy was Tyler. The joy, the joy was you. The joy was me. The joy that was set before him was greater than the lashes, the cat of nine tails and the 72 thorns that they placed in his head. The joy, the joy that was set before him. Your peace and your relationship with God was greater to Jesus than that which he was up against. Come on somebody. And you and I, after the the similitude of Christ ought to continue being unbothered even if they're mocking us as we compel, as we fulfill what it is that God has called us to because your why is greater than the opposition. In fact, that's good enough to preach to your neighbor. Tell them neighbor. Oh neighbor. <laughs> Tell them your why should be louder than the volume of your opposition. You ever been in your car driving down the street and, you know, you're trying to listen to your tunes, you know, and you're there listening to your, to your manly music, whatever that is. Uh, or maybe, uh, what, what's a sports radio station? How much? What? The Fan 590. And you're just there and you're driving down the road and you're listening to the game or whatever it is. <clears throat> and suddenly out of nowhere, somebody, uh, shows up next to you. You ever been in that position? Your whole car shaking. You can't hear nothing. You know, and it just seems to drown out what it is that is happening, you know, in your, in your car, uh, in what you were tuned into, what you were listening to. You're distracted by what comes up next to you. And you know, there are these things though, and they, they come in really useful if you're a parent. Amen. Uh, and they're called noise canceling headphones. CZ, y'all don't want to be real. Nobody in here ever used noise-canceling headphones, eh? Okay. And so, the noise-canceling headphones, what they do is, they, when you put them on, they, they are, they, they are, they are insulated in such a manner that, that, uh, that what happens is, no matter what's going on on the outside, even if that dude with the 5,000-inch speakers pulls up next to you and the 50-inch rims, it's not going to distract you because the noise-canceling headphones isolate what you're supposed to hear, come on somebody, from what it is that you don't want to hear. And I'm here to tell you that you and I got to get like that with our faith. Come on, somebody. That you got to cling on to God's word no matter what it is, no matter how big the speakers are that the enemy sends next to you. And some of those dudes are arrogant and they look at you, they look next to you and they're like, oh yeah, I'm ruining your, I'm ruining your baseball game right now. And you can just look back at them and be like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, come on somebody. 
Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Be careful for nothing. I wonder if I have some Bible readers. But in everything with prayer and supplication. Make your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God. Verse 7. Philippians 4 verse 7. That passes all understanding. Will guard your heart and your mind with Christ Jesus. When you use the word as your noise canceling headphone. Doesn't matter what comes blasting beside you. You can I, you and I can power through and can be in a place where we stay in tune even though the enemy will come blasting next to us. Somebody give God praise in that moment. I love this. Look, and in verse 15 of chapter 4 through 20, the Bible says, look, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half had spares, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens, they, they were loaded in such a way that each labored the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other oh man i just love that imagery you know that they're 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 on the wall and they're building they got a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other hand oh man there is such a balance that is necessary in the body of christ and in order to be the man of god that he has called you to be that's not just reserved for people who are up here preaching that's reserved for every man that is a believer you are called to be a man of god and that does not mean that you are called to be a wuss that does not mean that you are called to just sit back and let stuff pass you by be passive to see that your that young women are being degraded and are being objectified come on somebody and being in a position where there is craziness happening in the world and in your household and you just say oh that's just the way that it is because you know my grandfather was like that and this was passed down and you know what happened we are in such a generation where there is such passivity because of the fact that we are standing we are sitting back there is no way that the church should be full of more women than men we the, the church is not just for women and we got to get to the place where we are individuals that get to the place where we're builders and we're fighters where we're we're kingdom builders but we're fight you know i'm saved enough to pray for you uh, but i'm but but you know i'm still hood enough to where i'll cut you if i need to don't go cut anybody. Don't go, don't, don't, don't go cut. You know, no, but you gotta be to the place. Pastor Ben's like, yeah, don't go cut anybody. Please don't. But I'm telling you, you gotta be to the place, man, where we stand up. Because, can I give you point number three? Look, the future demands that we build and fight. That we build and fight. That there's a balance where, where Jesus is the Jesus that will go and will minister to the woman at the well or, or the woman that's caught in adultery, you know. But he's also the same Jesus that will rebuke the Pharisees for their abuse of people who don't know the Lord. And he will also go up into a temple and turn over tables. Come on, somebody. In the, this is the same Jesus. This is, this is the, these two things exist in Jesus where he's a builder and he is a fighter. I'm so glad that God is fighting for me. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody in here that's glad that we have an example in Christ that he's a builder and a fighter? 
I'm so glad that he's not letting the devil just run roughshod through my life. Come on. How many of you know as bad as it is, things could always be a whole lot worse. And many of us, we're complaining and we're like, oh, God can't be with us because of what we're going through. I'm telling you, you, I mean, if you let God take his whole hand off of you, you'd have no clue what would be going on in your life. But I'm so glad that James lets us know. Here those nose canceling headphone comes. He says in, in James chapter one, count it all joy. When you enter in to diverse temptations or trials of various kinds, because the trial of your faith works patience. Let patience have her perfect work in you that you may be complete or mature or whole wanting for nothing. So in other words, what I'm facing, there's a promise and there's a benefit that comes as a result of me being in a place of having a godly perspective of the trials and the things that come my way. Are you with me? And so I'm so glad that God is in a position where he fights for us and where he has a plan for what he allows in our lives. We're not just hop skipping through life wondering what's good. No, the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered. They're ordered by the Lord. Oh, that's some good news. You know, some of you, you came in hopeless because you feel like you just got to wing it or you feel like God is anybody ever felt like God is just winging it with you. No, God has not been winging it with you before you were formed in the belly. I hear him telling Jeremiah, he says, I knew you come on somebody and I ordained you as he said to him as a prophet. What has God set you apart for? He's not guessing with you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, man. The future demands that we build and fight as he said that he was to a place where he was not going to allow. He was not going to allow the sand, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem to stop him, to stop him from building what God had told him because of the future. And what was ahead if he would stay, if he would hang in there. And so the thing is in Galatians, in uh, Nehemiah chapter 6. He shares and he says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the place of, in the plain of, oh no, one more time, say oh no. But they intended to do me harm. And so he had discernment in this moment because he realized, like I told you as I was running, that not all, not everyone who says good stuff, oh, I just want to meet with you, brother, because I just want to help you out. And we're just going to, you know, pray together and we're going to pray the, the roof down. And, you know, the fact of the matter is just because people are just because people are being kind does not mean that you're supposed to go. And many of you, the reason why we've fallen into traps is because we have followed we, we have followed kind words and things of this stage. He says, no. He goes, look at what he says. But they intended to do me harm. I sent messengers the same. He didn't even go himself. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Man, I'm telling you that there are many of you that God has such an 
and, and has such a great anointing on your life or such great, a great calling on your life and you may not see it. And the reason why is because you are focusing more on your distractions than you are on God and what he has called you to. And I'm here to tell you today, I just want to encourage you to understand that if you would stay on the wall, come on somebody, if you would stay on the wall, there are lives that are beyond where you are. There are children that will know about the goodness of God. Come on. When you are to a place where you are focused on what God has called you to, you will not allow yourself to be, to, to be trapped by the distractions that are sent your way. And so the fact of the matter is they even sent false prophets to come and tell him stuff. To bring him, to try and lure him off the wall. But he was not lured by the trappings of distraction because of the call. The call was too great. And I don't care what it is you've been called to. I don't care who told you that it's insignificant or not important. Or because it's behind the scenes, it's not as great. You know, I can live without an arm. But if my heart was to stop, God forbid, can you look up here and see my heart? You can't see my heart, but many of us feel insignificant because you may be playing the background when in actuality God has placed you strategically, as he says in 1 Corinthians 12, where he has chosen and desired to because you are an integral piece of the body of Christ fulfilling its assignment. And you have been, you have been distracted by somebody trying to discredit your worth. Instead of knowing that you have a pivot, you play a pivotal role in God's kingdom being advanced. And so, you know, I'll just share this. When I was, when I was in a place that God had told me, and I'm coming, coming down for a landing, but I was in a place where, you know, God had told me as a young guy, after he healed me, and I was so radically in that place where I was, he compelled me to go and plant a college church. And so this was my first church plant. And never forget, I was so excited, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go, and I'm going to tell I'm going to tell uh, a, a professor that was in the university area that I was in. And I was so excited, you know, and I belonged to a denomination and an organization that, you know, was not as supportive. But I thought, I was like, if a young person comes up and is excited to reach young people, I thought he would empower me, release me, all this stuff. This guy, he tells me, and this is, you know, and this was a, a, a while ago, a long time ago when I was so, so I was getting ready. I was probably 19 when this happened. I started pastoring when I was 20, right? And so I went and I had the conversation with him and he proceeded to tell me a story. He's like, there's this young boy in my village back where he's from. And he says that he used to ride down the hill on his bicycle. Nobody ever told you stories like this before. Okay. He used to ride down the hill on his bicycle and he used to go off the cliff into the water. And so he would go off the cliff and jump into the water off his bicycle. And he said, one day, one day, the, the, the boy after riding down on his bicycle time and time again, he went off the cliff and the water was gone. And he died and it ended tragically. So this is what he told me. <laughs> When I came to receive encouragement about starting a church to reach young people in that time. And I was just like, okay, that went a whole lot differently than I expected. 
And so I left there feeling discouraged and, you know, and all of this sort of stuff. And trust me, the organization, once the church started making money, the organization showed up. Uh, and of course, they wanted to have, be our friends at that point. But that's another story. Uh, but in that moment, I felt discouraged, you know, and I'm so grateful. Can I tell you now to there's a church in Michigan that is that's called a relevant church, Grand Rapids, where hundreds of people have been saved. Come on, somebody for the glory of God. Not only this, uh, that it's still going there, but now by God's grace, we are here in, in Toronto. And two years ago, God told us to come home and plant a church. And in two years over now, 150 people have made decisions to follow Jesus. Come on, somebody. And we baptized over 50 people. And so some of you, that might not mean anything. But to me, come on, from the hood in Scarborough and sitting before somebody that prophesied evil. Come on, somebody. The fact that I didn't come down got us to the place where people's lives are being impacted. And lives are being changed, not because of me and not because I'm some special person. But because if you stay on the wall, who am I talking to this evening? If you keep on praying and decide that no matter what comes hell or high water that I'm not coming down I'm here to tell you that God can do miraculous things in your life like he built this wall through Nehemiah in just 52 days because he decided not to come down what is it that God's trying to build in your life what is it that will happen in your life if you don't come down worship team you can join me what is it that will be built in your life if you stay on the wall. If you'll have a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other. Men, I'm talking to you. What is it? What dream have you tucked away? What have you said? No, I'm not qualified to do that. And you've been edging closer and closer to the ground because of the naysayers, because of comparison. Because of the, the grass that you see that's greener on the other side, not realizing that no matter how green the grass is, there's still doo-doo under all of it. Oh, y'all didn't want me to be real. There's manure under all of the grass that you see, no matter how green it is. And you think, and many of us, you are duped and distracted by comparison, comparing your lawn to somebody else's lawn. Who am I talking to on tonight? Comparing your lawn to someone else's lawn. When God has called you to steward yours faithfully, because he has some incredible things to grow, but it's only going to grow if you do Galatians 6, 9, and don't get weary in doing well. For in due season, you will reap if you don't come down. And so I don't know what you're up against. And I don't know what you're facing. But I want you to know that you are loved. And that you are called. And that you have purpose, men. That you have a plan. That God has a plan for your life. And I want to tell you that no matter what man may say. No matter what they may have said. No matter what your background is. Can you stand with me on your feet tonight? I'm believing that you, that God is going to cause breakthrough to happen in the life of a man tonight who won't come down. A man that says, that sickness, that's not greater than the God that I serve. A man that says, you know what? Even if I did die, death is not the end for the believer. Come on, somebody. That not even death is greater than our God. And so we stand flat-footed. 
with our backs squared and our chins out not in pride because of how great we are but because of how great our God is and I am who he says that I am I'm victorious come on somebody I'm not looking for victory I am victorious somebody say that to yourself say I am victorious Paul says thanks be to God in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 57 thanks be to God who has given us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord thanks for listening if you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you please email info at thecitychurch.ca